O Passes to India, Chapter 24, Part 2 The court was crowded and of course very hot. And the first person Adela noticed in it was the humblest of all who were present, a person who had no bearing officially upon the trial, the man who pulled the pankha. Almost naked and splendidly formed, he sat on a raised platform near the back, in the middle of the central gangway, and he caught her attention as she came in, and he seemed to control the proceedings. He had the strength and beauty that sometimes come to flower in Indians of low birth. When the strange race nears the dust and is condemned as untouchable, then nature remembers the physical perfection that she accomplished elsewhere and throws out a god not many, but one here and there, to prove to society how little its categories impress her. This man would have been notable anywhere, among the thin-hammed, flat-chested mediocrities of Chandrapur, he stood out as divine, yet he was of the city. Its garbage had nourished him, he would end on its rubbish heaps. Pulling the rope towards him, relaxing it rhythmically, sending swirls of air over others, receiving none himself, he seemed apart from human destinies, a male fate, a winnower of souls. Opposite him, also on a platform, sat the little assistant magistrate, cultivated, self-conscious and conscientious. The Pankhawala was none of these things. He scarcely knew that he existed and did not understand why the court was fuller than usual. Indeed, he did not know that it was fuller than usual. Didn't even know he worked a fan, though he thought he pulled a rope. Something in his aloofness impressed the girl from middle-class England and rebuked the narrowness of her sufferings. In virtue of what had she recollected, this room full of people together, her particular brand of opinions and this suburban Jehovah who sanctified them, by what right did they claim so much importance in the world and assume the title of civilization? Mrs. Moore, she looked round, but Mrs. Moore was far away on the sea. It was the kind of question they might have discussed on the voice out, but the old lady had turned disagreeable and quiver. While thinking of Mrs. Moore, she heard sounds, which gradually grew more distinct. The epoch-making trial had started, and the superintendent of police was opening the case for the prosecution. Mr. McBride was not at pains to be an interesting speaker. He left eloquence to the defense, who would require it. His attitude was, Everyone knows the man's guilty, and I am obliged to say so in public before he goes to the Andamans. He made no moral or emotional appeal, and it was only by degrees that the studied negligence of his manner made itself felt and lashed part of the audience to fury. Laboriously did he describe the genesis of the picnic. The prisoner had met Miss Quested at an entertainment given by the principal of Government College, 
and had there conceived his intentions concerning her. Prisoner was a man of loose life, as documents found upon him at his arrest would testify. Also, his fellow assistant, Dr. Pannalal, was in a position to throw light in his character, and Major Callender himself would speak. Here, Mr. McBride paused. He wanted to keep the proceedings as clean as possible, but Oriental pathology, his favorite theme, lay around him, and he could not resist it. Taking off his spectacles, as was his habit, before enunciating a general truth, he looked into them sadly and remarked that the darker races are physically attracted by the fairer, but not vice versa. Not a matter for bitterness this, not a matter for abuse, but just a fact which any scientific observer will confirm. Even when the lady is so uglier than the gentleman, the comment fell from the nowhere, from the ceiling perhaps. It was the first interruption and the magistrate felt bound to ensure it. Turn that man out, he said. One of the native policemen took hold of a man who had said nothing and turned him out roughly. Mr. McBride resumed his spectacles and proceeded, but the comment had upset Miss Queston. Her body resented being called ugly and trembled. Do you feel faint, Adela? asked Miss Derrick, who tended her with loving indignation. I never feel anything else, Nancy. I shall get through, but it's awful, awful. This led to the first of a series of scenes. Her friends began to fuss around her and the major called out. I must have better arrangements than this made for my patient. Why isn't she given a seat on the platform? She gets no air. Mr. Das looked annoyed and said, I shall be happy to accommodate Miss Quested with a chair up here in a view of the particular circumstances of her health. The Chaprasis passed up not one chair but several, and the entire party followed Adela on the, to the platform. Mr. Fielding being the only European who remained in the body of the hall. That's better, remarked Mrs. Turton as she settled herself. Thoroughly desirable change for several reasons, replied the major. The magistrate knew that he ought to censure this remark, but did not dare to. Calendar saw that he was afraid and called out authoritatively. Right, McBride, go ahead now. Sorry to have interrupted you. Are you all right yourselves? Asked the superintendent. We shall do, we shall do. Go on, Mr. Das. We are not here to disturb you, said the collector patronizingly. Indeed, they had not so much disturbed the trial as taken charge of it. While the prosecution continued, Miss Quested examined the hall, timidly at first, as though it would scorch her eyes. She observed to left and right of the Pankha man many a half-known face. Beneath her were gathered all the wreckage of her silly attempt to see India, the people she had met at the bridge party, the man and his wife who had not sent their carriage, the old man who would lend his car, various servants, villagers, officials, and the prisoner himself. There he sat, strong, neat little Indian with 
very black hair and pliant hands. She viewed him without special emotion. Since they last met, she had elevated him into a principle of evil, but now he seemed to be what he had always been, a slight acquaintance. He was negligible, devoid of significance, dry like a bone, and though he was guilty, no atmosphere of sin surrounded him. I suppose he is guilty. Can I possibly have made a mistake? She thought. For this question still occurred to her intellect, though since Mrs. Moore's departure it had ceased to trouble her conscience. Reader Mahmoud Ali now arose and asked with ponderous and ill-judged irony whether his client could be accommodated on the platform too. Even Indians felt unwell sometimes, though naturally Major Calendar did not think so, being in charge of a government hospital. Another example of their exquisite sense of humor, sang Miss Derrick. Ronnie looked at Mr. Das to see how he would handle the difficulty, and Mr. Das became agitated and snubbed pleader Mahmoud Ali severely. Excuse me, it was the truth of the eminent barrister from Calcutta. He was a fine-looking man, large and bony, with grey, closely cropped hair. We object to the presence of so many European ladies and gentlemen upon the platform, he said in an Oxford voice. They will have the effect of intimidating our witnesses. Their place is with the rest of the public in the body of the hall. We have no objection to Miss Quested remaining on the platform since she has been unwell. We shall extend every courtesy to her throughout despite the scientific truths revealed to us by the district superintendent of police. But we do object to the others. Oh, cut the cackle and let's have the verdict, the major growled. The distinguished visitor gazed at the magistrate respectfully. I agree to that, said Mr. Das, hiding his face desperately in some papers. It was only to Miss Quested that I gave permission to set up here. Her friends should be so excessively kind as to climb down. Well done, thus, quite sound, said Ronnie with devastating honesty. Climb down, indeed. What incredible impertinence, Mrs. Turton cried. Do come quietly, Mary, murmured her husband. Hi, my patient can't be left unattended. Do you object to the civil surgeon remaining, Mr. Amritra? I should object. A platform confers authority. Even when it's one foot high, so come along all, said the collector, trying to laugh. Thank you very much, sir, said Mr. Das, greatly relieved. Thank you, Mr. Heathlow. Thank you, la ladies all. And the party included Miss Quested descended from its rash eminence. The news of their humiliation spread quickly and people jeered outside. Their special chairs followed them. Mahmoud Ali objected even to these. By whose authority had special chairs been introduced? Why had the Nawab Bahadur not been given one? etc. People began to talk all over the room about chairs ordinary and special. Strips of carpet, platforms one foot high. 
but the little excursion had a good effect on Miss Quest's nerve. She felt easier now that she had seen all the people who were in the room. It was like knowing the worst. She was sure now that she should come through all right, that is to say, without spiritual disgrace, and she passed the good news on to Ronnie and Mrs. Turton. They were too much agitated with the defeat to British prestige to be interested. From where she sat, she could see the renegade Mr. Fielding. She had had a better view of him from the platform and knew that an Indian child burst on his knee. He was watching the proceedings, watching her. When their eyes met, he turned his away, as if direct intercourse was of no interest to him. The magistrate was also happier. He had won the battle of the platform and gained confidence. Intelligent and impartial, he continued to listen to the evidence and tried to forget the later on he should have to pronounce a verdict in accordance with it. The superintendent trundled steadily forward. He had expected these outbursts of insolence. They are the natural gestures of an inferior race, and he betrayed no hatred of Aziz, merely an abysmal contempt. The speech dealt at length with the prisoners' dupes, as they were called, Fielding, the servant Antony, the Nawab Bahadur. This aspect of the case had always seemed dubious to Miss Quested, and she had asked the police not to develop it. But they were playing for a heavy sentence and wanted to prove that the assault was premeditated. And in order to illustrate the strategy, they produced a plan of the Marabar Hills, showing the route that the party had taken and the tank of the danger where they had camped. The magistrate displayed interest in archaeology. An elevation of a specimen cave was produced. It was lettered Buddhist cave. Not Buddhist, I think, Jain. In which cave is the offense alleged? The Buddhist or Jain? Asked Mahmud Ali with the air of unmasking a conspiracy. All the Marabar caves are Jain. Yes, sir. Then in which Jain cave? You will have an opportunity of putting such questions later. Mr. McBride smiled faintly at their fatuity. Indians invariably collapse over some such point as this. He knew that the defense had some wild hope of establishing an alibi, that they had tried to identify the guide, and that Fielding and Hamidullah had gone out to the Kawadol and paced and measured all one moonlit night. Mr. Leesley says they are Buddhist, and he ought to know if anyone does. But may I call attention to the sheep? And he described what had occurred there. Then he spoke of Miss Derrick's arrival, of the scramble down the gully, of the return of the two ladies to Chandrapur, and of the document Miss Quested signed on her arrival, in which mention was made of the field glasses. And then came the culminating evidence, the discovery of the field glasses on the prisoner. I have nothing to add at present, he concluded, removing his spectacles. I will now call my witnesses. The fact will speak for themselves. The prisoner is one of those individuals who have led a double life. 
I dare say his degeneracy gained upon him gradually. He has been very cunning at concealing, as is usual with the type, and pretending to be a respectable member of society, getting a government position even. He is now entirely vicious and beyond redemption, I am afraid. He behaved most cruelly, most brutally to another of his guests, another English lady. In order to get rid of her and leave him free for his crime, he crushed her into a cave among his servants. However, that is by the way.